This is Your Tech Report. For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com. We are back on Your Tech Report. Thank you guys for being with us each and every single week. I'm excited to welcome my next guest. Her name is Christina Summer. She's the head of advertising for Roku Canada. Welcome to Your Tech Report. A, a pleasure to have you join us. Thanks very much. I'm pleased to be here. Now, Christina, tell me something. There is a recent study that Roku has released that uh, talks all about TV streaming. And this is a big topic of conversation, I think, because we're, we're constantly seeing the rise in streaming. You guys know this. I mean, at Roku, you, I mean, you've been in the streaming game longer than most of some of the companies out there that have been streaming. So it makes sense that you would release um, a, a study like this. Talk to me about the reason first as to why you guys look at this data and keep this data and why is that data important to us? Sure, happy to. Um, so this really started three years ago. So this is our third year conducting this study specific to the Canadian marketplace in regards to TV streaming habits and behaviors of our consumers. The reason we got this started was surprisingly, even though I do work for a streaming company, there wasn't a lot of data in regards to what was happening. There's a lot of North American studies and different things that kind of blend the US and Canada together, but not a lot for us specifically. So we wanted to start understanding what consumers were doing when it comes to TV streaming. So fast forward three years where we are today, it's called the VOD evolution. And it really talks about a lot of the shifting behaviors that are taking place within the streaming landscape. It's been a very roller coaster year for a lot of us over the last couple of years. We had COVID, we've had some economy factors that are feeding into things now, and consumers are no different as far as what they're doing in what they're consuming, how they're consuming, where they're spending their dollars, and what they're looking for. So that is part of what came out in the study that we found this year, just a lot of that shift in what's taking place. Something that I spoke to um, this morning, I do a couple of live radio hits and we talk about various things and we were talking about the recent story about Netflix, uh, you know, cracking down on, on account sharing and increasing prices and stuff like that, is the fact that, that streaming services, when they first came out, were really, I mean, and, and I think, and you can confirm or deny this, it were, uh, you know, discretionary income. You know, it's much like much like Sirius XM. We use our discretionary income. It's not a vital. It's not like a cell phone that's become like we need it now or Internet. It really is discretionary. So when it comes down to looking at our expenses on a monthly basis and saying, how much are we spending? Unfortunately, streaming at one point when it first started, I think, was more uh, on the on the chopping block. Are you still seeing that or is that shifting a bit? So we're seeing all things shift when it comes to content. So I would agree with you that, um, you know, new sources, new content that people were looking for were becoming available on different services like Netflix and others that have popped up since then. Um, we still had our local broadcasters and we had a lot of content that was available through those. But if you were looking for kind of that niche and different audiences that were taking place, that's kind of where streaming got started. Fast forward and a lot of things have shifted. So we see that there's a lot of original programming that's coming just to the streaming services, a lot of uh, big name titles and programs that are being picked up, movies as well. And so what we're seeing now is more of a shift. Um, consumers from a content consumption perspective has always been evolving. So they will go where the content is that they want to consume stream and share with their friends and family. And so what we're seeing is more um, how they're accessing it and what they're paying for. So because of a lot of things that are happening um, with the macroeconomic factors right now, you know, people are looking to be cost sensitive with how they're spending their disposable income. So if there are other ways in which to acquire that content, which is where we get uh, AVOD or ad supported video on demand, as it's called, that's where we're seeing a lot of shift. And that came out in the study as well. So we know that there are a lot of streamers overall. 
So um, 76% of the streaming world is streaming some form of content when it comes to what's available. So it's a large pool of Canadians already who are tapping into that. But where they're consuming it and which types of services has been the shift. So again, back to your comment about Netflix and how they're kind of cracking down on some things. They're also getting into the ad-supported space. And this has been a space that Roku's been in for quite some time. We have our channel, the Roku channel. We were very early days and invested heavily in the ad-supported side of the streaming um, ecosystem. We continue to do so, but we're also seeing other big players enter into that space as well. So when we talk about costs and savings and things, we're looking at consumers who are reducing or changing their cable or satellite subscriptions. So 18% of TV streamers plan to make some sort of change in that particular area. We find that 29% of the people surveyed had never used cable. So there's this up and coming generation of people okay. who are just finding I feel old now, this, thanks. the services <laughs> that they're looking for. Um, and then we see also this, this term that we've coined as part of our research on the FlexiVot. So this is the okay. transition of subscribing, unsubscribing, signing up for something, getting rid of it a month later, kind of flowing where the content is that you want to consume and then spending those um, whether it's time or costs um, within those services. So let me read between the lines here, because re really reading between the lines here, I think I'm going to answer my own question, but original programming drives drives your service. Like if you have original programming that is compelling, just like, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS used to, you know, get the, you get the programming, you get the viewers. The same thing is the case with streaming. Yes, I think original programming and new content, you know, this works for movies and, and different things as well, will drive the original audiences. So the binge viewers, the people who want to watch things for the get-go, they want that water cooler talk as far as what they're doing. But we also find, um, not in this particular research and studies, but on other studies we've done, is that if someone can't make a decision, streaming is also great for going back to what you've watched before and enjoyed. So if you're looking to put something on because you're doing other things, or you just want to rewatch a movie or a series that you've enjoyed historically, we find that streaming is really great for that because of the breadth of library content available. Hence my wife watching Gilmore Girls for the 900th season. Not that I'm complaining. I have no problem with it. I just don't know the actual, you know, script uh, verbatim. Um, that is, you know, this data is super cool. It's super cool because normally, obviously, it's not the first year. So you have trends to look at and history there. Is this something that you guys choose to do on an annual basis or is it triggered by some of the partners? Because as you know, or as you guys at home know who are listening, um, you can get the vast majority of streaming channels on on Roku media players or Roku televisions. So is this really on your own content or is it through all, anything that comes through Roku televisions or Roku media players? So this study is specific to the TV streaming landscape as a whole. So it's not looking at specifically okay. Roku customers, although shameless plug, we are the number one TV streaming platform in you both are, Canada, the US and Mexico. So we are seeing a, a vast consumption of content that's happening on Roku, but this study was meant to be more of a marketplace study so that we could look at things from a total ecosystem perspective. Have we seen the definition of a cable and satellite provider, like a traditional operator? Is that changing? Because really, at the end of the day, so a lot of these services are now streaming as well. Like they're streaming their existing content um, over the Internet. So the method of delivery is different. But is the is the model changed? The, I think the acronyms have changed. So we'll find okay. within the study and the appendix at the back, if you want to get into it, there, there's a ton of them for the broadcasters <laughs> specifically. There's a term called BVOD, which stands for Broadcaster yep. Video On Demand. So talking specifically in regards to their content, 
how it's being packaged and where it's available. I think fundamentally, we still have the different platforms as far as how you can consume content. So whether that's through cable or satellite, which are the platforms that are delivering it, we then have the connected TV ecosystem or CTV that we're talking about when it comes to Roku. So whether that's through your device or your smart television. So there's, you know, just a changing, I think, in the acronyms and the language that we use around it, but it's more delivery of that content and whether it's happening through traditional pipes being cable or satellite or via the internet, which is the new streaming side. What do you think, and this is completely opinion, but obviously based on some data, um, what do you think of the, the I mean, the ad-supported TV when it comes to, and I have to preface this because I know that Roku has been doing this longer than most companies have existed. Um, content is being created with the intention of binging these days. So yes, ad-supported, like there's a fine line there that you got to float, I think, in order to make sure the content is still consumable the way it was intended to be consumed. Like I remember when we used to watch, I don't know, insert movie here on regular broadcast television, and they'd interrupt it every 10 minutes to put a commercial in. You just want to punch your TV because it wasn't intended to be watched that way and it ruins the momentum of it. So how do you how do you skate that or do you? So for us, it's the value exchange between the two. So consumers understand that to get free content in return for light advertising is a value exchange that they're very familiar with. Traditional linear, to your point, was based on that model where you get content. There's some advertising that's served within that and things have evolved and changed over time. So what we try to do on the Roku side of things is balance that equation. So we're running about half the ad load that you would traditionally get in linear television if you're consuming something on, for example, the Roku channel or our O&O channel. So we make sure that we're delivering um, valuable content, so things that people want to watch and see. They're getting it at the right price. Free is uh, something that all consumers enjoy, but we also want to run those advertisements within it. We just want to make sure that it's not so heavy to turn away consumers from the content that they want, but at the same time that we can still offer that uh, vast catalog of content that people are looking for. There's a, a note here in the study that says more streamers are collectively watching programming with subtitles. 86% of Anglophone streamers and 64% of Francophone streamers compared to dubbed content. Interesting, because you'd think people would want to hear things in their native language, but I guess they don't, I guess they don't, they want to hear the actual actors, I guess, while still being able to consume the content. Is that what we're kind of gleaning from that? Yeah, I think there's a, a, a bit of a, a difference that we're seeing across the board. So one is where that content is coming for, coming from, sorry, excuse me, and how it's being delivered to consumers. So if they're adding dub titles or if they're doing um, subtitles is partially the um, content producer and how they're making that content available. So part of it could just be the types of choices that are available. One of the things we do find, though, is especially during COVID when we were all locked up at home, is that people were using foreign content as a way to kind of experience the world outside of their living room or their home that they were they were stuck within. And so we've seen a rise in foreign language content, partially due to that, but partially just due to the fact that people are looking for good content regardless of where it comes from. And so if it's available via subtitles or dubbed, a lot of it is what's available to them and then what is most comfortable to them. So we try to offer both to make sure that they can access both. You know, back in the day, sports used to dictate where people really spent a lot of their time. You know, people would bid for the Super Bowl and spend hundreds of millions. I mean, they still spend hundreds of millions of dollars, not only advertising on it because of the audience, but also just having the rights to carry it. Um, do you see sports playing a major role in this as well? 
Yes. Some of the research from the study found that there was a significant increase of people looking for live and VOD services when it came to sports and just live TV overall. So sports drives a lot of it. News drives a lot of it. um, But also just anything that's happening in real time, a lot of the award shows and things like that. So it found that there was a 30% um, increase year over year in terms of the live services that are becoming available. Now, those also become a bit um, challenging because there are different rights from a distribution perspective around yeah. those. So some of that content partners are still looking at as far as how they're going to distribute them and make them available. But as far as an interest perspective, that category and the interest of getting it now and live and in real time is still very much of interest for all types of consumers. Was there anything, Christina, that you that you, uh, that you saw in the study that kind of popped out and like, oh, my God, I never realized that was this or anything that really surprised you from it? I don't think anything surprised me overall. I'm just really happy that reinforced things that we've known about the marketplace for quite some time. So we know that more than half of Canadian TV streamers are now streaming ad-supported content. Again, a big investment that Roku has been making within that particular space within the Roku channel. We know that this shifting behaviors, I used to tell people all the time is that one of the things when I started with Roku years ago was that we would start to see people change their behaviors based upon what's available. So people talk about subscribing to one service and then canceling that same service and watch it for a month and then move on to the next service. So this FlexiVod term that we're we're finding in the shift of behaviors is happening more rapidly than what we've seen historically. And then again, just rise of overall ad supported. So the changes that some of the big guys are making, the shift in consumers behavior and the consumption of that content is growing. And so... Nothing totally surprising to me. Again, it's just nice to have the numbers and the official details to share. So, Christina, how important is the discoverability element of the content? Because you guys do a very good job at allowing someone to just kind of search and and find the various services that it's on. The easier it is, I guess, the more likely someone is to subscribe to a given service or another, right? Correct. Yes, we try to introduce a number of features from a platform perspective that make it easy for consumers to find what they're looking for. So some of those features involve master search. So you can simply search for a channel, a program, a cast, character, director that you're looking for, which will then populate with the results that we have. We work with our content partners in order to ensure that they have the metadata behind the scenes in order to populate that feed. So it's easy to find what you're looking for. We've also introduced some different platform features like Featured Free, which is a section right from the left-hand nav when you land on the home screen of Roku that allows you to look for specifically free content. So consumers looking for any type of content can be featured and hosted within there. We also have what to watch, save list, other types of functionality that are built in so that the ease of use that Roku has from an overall platform perspective continues as you try to drive deeper into what you're looking to consume. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, there's, there's no hiding the fact that us here on the show are big Roku fans. I mean, we've we've you know, previewed every OS from, you know, the first Roku television to media players from way back when. I still carry a Roku streaming stick whenever I travel because it's just such an incredible platform to not only just, just use on a daily basis, but just access and everything and be able to take it with you is phenomenal. So there's no arguing that, Christina, we are big Roku fans. Um any other kind of any other discoveries that you want to you want to shed some light on from this survey or did we do a good job covering covering it? All? I think we've covered it. Um, the only plug I guess I, I make is that uh, it is available on our website. So if you're looking to download the entire white paper, it is available on advertising.roku.com. And so if you'd like to read all the different stats and uh, the full details, then it's available for everyone. 
Thank you, Christina Summers, for taking the time to join us. We cannot wait to have you back on, yeah, hopefully before next year when we have the study come You've out again. You've been tuned in to Your Tech Report. Join us again next week for another edition. And be sure to follow Your Tech Report online. Email us, contact at yourtechreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at Your Tech Report. Like us on facebook.com slash yourtechreport. For the latest in breaking tech news and reviews, yourtechreport.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.